It was a glorious Saturday morning a few years ago, and my daughter Alice and I were out and about and noticing all the ways that it was a particularly spectacular morning. Leaves were just beginning to leaf out, bright green everywhere, and the birds were thrilled, and daffodils, and apple trees in bloom. The sky was blue, the sun was out, but it was not too hot. And I turned to Alice, having exclaimed about all these wonderful things, and I said, what? more could we possibly ask for? <laughs> Cake, she replied. She was very matter-of-fact about this and did not miss a beat. Cake. Cake would certainly improve this day. I'm convinced that there is a close connection between cake and the lost soul's that we meet in the parable of what is so commonly called the prodigal son. But I should probably back up. This parable is often held up as a tale to inspire repentance, but I'm not sure that's what it's actually about at its core, or at least not just that. The context certainly sends us in that direction. Jesus has been eating with sinners, and the religious leaders are worked up. And now, this crew of sinners, they're, they're not sinners in the way that we're all sinners, we all fall short. These are notorious sinners. You know, people who live deeply corrupt lives, who prey on others who tear away at the fabric of the community. And there's nothing to suggest that they are in the process of repenting. And yet there is Jesus kicking back with them at cheese board and totally relaxed. It is scandalous. And the religious leaders call him out. And he replies with a series of parables. We don't hear the first two this morning. It's a, a lost sheep and a lost coin, both found. And he specifically likens these first two parables to sinners repenting and returning to God. And then he launches into this story about a lost son a son who squanders everything and then finally returns home. And maybe it's about repentance. It could be. But Jesus sure does not say so. It's a complex story. It's one that tempts our imaginations. The first place we tend to fill in details is when the younger son is knee-deep in pig slop, famished and broke. Maybe this is his rock bottom. Maybe he has a sincere change of heart. But the text only says that he comes to himself 
he has a realization. It occurs to him that life would be better back home. And he takes off. We don't know if he's sorry and repented or if he just figures he can work over his old man one more time. And then when he finally gets there, his carefully rehearsed speech is cut short. His, his dad interrupts, welcoming him home without condition or hesitation. And then there's the older brother. As good as he seems at first blush, right? He's been loyally laboring under this hot sun for his dad all these years. Never so much as a roast goat with his friends. Come on. He is not in the clear either. He is seething with resentment that seems to have been festering for as long as his brother has been gone. But the father is not phased by this angst. He still comes to urge this son to join the party. But last we hear, this older son remains outside, heels dug in, refusing to celebrate his brother's return. He is every bit as lost as his brother ever was. It is a story that many of us have heard so many times that we easily fill in the blanks, flesh out the story, trying to make it maybe a little more fitting for a feel-good lifetime movie. Right? We, we imagine the life turned around. We impute repentance. We hope we see reconciliation taking root. But we don't know if the younger son is sincerely repentant. We do not hear the older son repent. All we know is that the father does not even pause to catch his breath before insisting on celebrating. Right then. His son was lost and is now found. They had to celebrate. There was no other choice. Sometimes celebrating can seem like an awfully tall order, though. For any number of reasons, it can be difficult to cross the threshold and enter into the feast. I've experienced this resistance in myself plenty of times. For me, it isn't rooted in, in resentment like the older brother, though, but in sorrow. One place it returns for me year after year is on the birthday of my son, Fritz. Fritz died as an infant, and especially in the first few years, his birthdays felt like an impossible conundrum. What do you do on a birthday that does not mean your child has made it through another set of milestones? How do you mark a day when it is only that, a marker of what 
once was. I had no idea. I didn't know how to celebrate, but it turned out I didn't have to know. Reversing the well-worn roles of parent and child in this parable, Alice and Sam, my, my other children, they have taken the lead. This last December, Fritz would have turned five, and I had scarcely gotten out of bed that morning when Alice was already up and eagerly bustling about, imploring me to get out the party box already. I mean, we have to decorate, don't we, Mom? She asked this, but did not wait for an answer. And so I pulled out the box, and as I slowly made myself a cup of coffee, she set to work, twisting up crepe paper and hanging the birthday banner and taping up balloons all over the house. My kids understand that this is a complicated day for me. They see my grief. And on a visceral level, they know that no matter what, we have to celebrate with decorations and excellent food and, yes, even cake with candles, even singing. Their brother is not fully lost to them, not even in death. It's still a birthday. And while celebrating will not bring my son back, when we feast, something shifts for me every time. We gather, we give thanks, we celebrate, and I realize there in the feasting that maybe I am found. Maybe this very act helps me to be found again and again when I am most likely to be lost. Gathered around that table, I can see a little more easily how connected we are, how we are held, how this good life carries us forward. It seems to me that Jesus is telling us in this parable that no matter where we are, no matter the state of our hearts, this feast is one way to begin. We can just come on in and celebrate what we can now. Sometimes changing our lives can start with repentance. And when we can do that, fantastic. And maybe we don't have to know how exactly we will live differently just yet. There is this pressing invitation dangling there, ready and waiting, urging us to come into the feast. Even before we have it all figured out. It can be so tempting to dig in our heels, refusing to cross the threshold. Is it because we're still angry? 
or because we're not sure if we will be welcomed? Or is it because we just don't know where we would even find the time? Or is it maybe because we're not sure what we would even celebrate? Whatever it is that tries to convince us to stay away, the promise I hear in this parable is that this feasting will transform us. Whether the day has been blissful or confusing or utterly wrenching, whether we come ready or resistant, probably doesn't even have to include cake, though I imagine it would help. But just come, God says. We have to celebrate. Yes, it can be vulnerable to show up, to join in, to step towards one another, but come and feast, God says. Start here. We come together and feast because when we do, it is much harder to stay entrenched in our resentments or buried in our sorrows or just plain lost. These burdens don't evaporate, but it's a little harder to hold on to that anguish or nurse that animosity when you're shoulder to shoulder at a feast. It's harder to keep forgetting what is true, that we are always welcomed home, that we can always choose to reconcile, that there is always good reason to give thanks. The act of feasting in and of itself transforms us. It's who we are as Christians. We are a people who gather to feast in heartache and enjoy both. We celebrate while it's still complicated, before we've worked it all out, while we're still smarting, still mourning, still just the tiniest bit bitter, we find a way to give thanks. Maybe we celebrate the simple fact that we're here, still a little lost, but found enough to be at the table. It's not a given that we're here, that we make it home. Come, God says. We have to celebrate.